From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. In his first public statement after his two-year probe, Special Counsel Robert Mueller said this week that he had never considered charging Donald Trump with a crime as he investigated Russian interference in the 2016 election. Mueller explained that a 1973 Justice Department legal opinion says Congress alone has the authority to punish a sitting president. That's emboldened those in Congress who say representatives must read Mueller's report, which found evidence Trump may have obstructed the special counsel's investigation as an impeachment referral. CQ legal affairs reporter Todd Ruger is here to discuss it. And later, I'll talk with CQ defense reporter Patrick Kelly about a potential split between the United States and a longstanding ally, Turkey, over Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's plan to buy a Russian air defense system. First, to what is happening here at home. Welcome, Todd. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's listen to what Mueller had to say about going before Congress. There has been discussion about an appearance before Congress. Any testimony from this office would not go beyond our report. It contains our findings and analysis and the reasons for the decisions we made. Todd. What do you take away from this? Um, well, you know, surprise, first of all. he uh, Here's a guy who we've been waiting to hear for for o- over two years as, as this investigation has unfolded. He hasn't said anything publicly. And then suddenly here he was on short announcement making a statement at the Justice Department. The context of this was that he was been in discussion with the House Democrats on the Judiciary Committee about possibly testifying to talk about this uh, investigation. And what I take from this is that, um, first of all, there was really no new information that Bob Mueller gave out. He said he couldn't have, he didn't look at whether he could charge President Trump with a crime because there was a DOJ opinion uh, from decades ago that said that he couldn't. And then he also pointed out that in this this, uh, same opinion says there are other ways the Constitution imagines holding a president uh, accountable. And that, everybody said, is a big flashing red sign that Congress is the one that needs to act next. Not everyone, really. Uh, the Democrats, uh, those who favored impeachment, said that. Right. And and I think that's a good point. A, a lot of what Robert Mueller said, what you read into what he said is what you wanted to hear. Uh, the Republicans on the Hill said, look, uh, he just said again, no collusion, no no obstruction, and we need we all need to move on to more substantive issues. Among the Democrats, we, what we heard was he couldn't say the president committed a crime, but we heard that he said that the president committed a crime and that it's up to us. All right. The House Judiciary Committee, which would oversee any impeachment proceedings, has been pressing hard to have Mueller come before the committee and testify. Here is what the chairman, Congressman Gerald Nadler, said after the special counsel spoke. With respect to impeachment question at this point, all options are on the table and nothing should be ruled out. So Todd, where does Mueller's stance leave the Hill? Does this move the needle at all so far as impeachment goes? Yeah, well, Nadler's quote there is about whether or not uh, Democrats should go towards impeachment. He, He is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, 
which is where the impeachment proceedings would start. Uh, There are several more senior Democrats on that committee that called for uh, starting an impeachment inquiry after this Mueller thing. I think one of the things that uh, that has been hanging out there is, is Mueller going to testify? And a lot of the, the leadership on the House side, Speaker Nancy Pelosi of California, Nadler uh, of New York, has basically said, well, we need to get all the information. We need, to, we need to get the entire unredacted Mueller report. We need to get the underlying investigative materials. We need to hear from from Robert Mueller. Well, now uh, Robert Mueller has basically said, thank you very much, but I don't really want to testify. And if I do testify, you're not going to get anything new out out from beyond what you've already learned in this report. And so it sort of takes away one of these things that the leadership has been pointing to, to slow down all the talk of impeachment. They're, they're not sure it's a it's a great political move. There were a few more House Democrats that, that jumped on to the maybe we should start an impeachment. And Kirsten inquiry. Gillibrand, the New York senator who's running for president, and Cory Booker, the New Jersey senator who's running for president. So that's more pressure on Nancy Pelosi to let the impeachment proceedings begin. Sure, but uh, you know the one thing she's pointing to, the one senator that she thinks matters is um, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, who has said that th- an impeachment is going nowhere in the Senate. You can impeach in the House, but the Senate would have to convict. Correct. So this is a fast-moving story, Todd. What comes next? Will the Democrats still call Mueller to testify? Well, it's an open question. Uh, Chairman Nadler, who was negotiating with Mueller to have him come in, uh, was asked that exact question at a press conference, and he didn't answer directly. He just said that Mueller had told us a lot of what we needed to hear. Well, does that mean that he will still call him? Because there are some questions that Democrats have outside of the four corners of the Mueller report. Were you pressured to end your uh, investigation early in any way? You know, was there any avenue you weren't allowed to take? Um, Things that aren't described in this memo that they want to ask. Uh, One of those people is Rep. Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, He has said that he wants to still hear from Mueller. And there are other lawmakers who say he doesn't get to just ride off into the sunset and decide he doesn't talk to the lawmakers. But if Mueller doesn't want to testify, do you really want to subpoena the guy who just did this investigation, two years of public service, a former FBI director? Do you want to enforce him to make a decision, force him to to do this? Or is that worth the the political blowback that they might cause? All right. Thanks, Todd. I know you'll be reporting on this in the days ahead, and listeners can find your stories at CQ.com and at RollCall.com. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now to another news story coming from the Hill. U.S.-Turkish relations are truly at a low point. Turkey's intention to purchase an air defense system from Russia has spurred Congress to action. It now wants to block the sale of F-35 Joint Strike Fighters to Turkey. With us now is CQ defense reporter Patrick Kelly, who has been following this issue. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks for having me. So, Patrick, why is Congress trying to block the sale of these jets to Turkey? So the F-35 is kind of the Pentagon's crown jewel in many ways. It's the most expensive Pentagon weapon system in in history. And so operating the F-35 side-by-side with the Russian-made S-400 missile defense system, which is designed to shoot down the F-35, is a security risk. Um, you know, Turkey receiving these missile defense systems, um, it's not as simple as, as Russia selling them or, or them buying it off the rack. The Russian military would have to train the Turks on this system, and, and they would be involved in the maintenance for years to come. And so they would have access to um, how the radar picks up different jets, including the F-35. And so uh, it, it puts the, the whole system at risk. Turkey is a longtime ally. We have a major air base there. Why are they putting the, us in this awkward position? A lot of this 
kind of stems from 2016. Um, there was an attempted coup against against the Turkish president um, Erdogan, and this is where Russia and the United States kind of come into the mix. Um, after this attempted coup, which Erdogan survived, you know, uh, he gets a phone call from Vladimir Putin saying, you know, I stand with you. We can't, you know, allow for, for coups to happen in anywhere in the world. And the response from the United States was a little bit muted. Um, and also Erdogan believed that uh, a, a Turkish cleric who has lived in Pennsylvania for years, uh, Fethullah Gulen, was behind the coup, that his loyalists in the country were the ones who were trying trying to oust him, and the United States refused to extradite him, which is what Erdogan wanted. We have an extradition treaty with Turkey, the United States does, but he couldn't provide any evidence that, that Gulen was behind it, and so um, Erdogan to this day believes that we are you know, uh, protecting the man who tried to oust him. And then going one step further um, on on Turkey's southern border is, is Syria, where there's been a, a civil war for quite some time. And um, in Syria, the United States decided to back uh, the YPG, a Kurdish militia. Um, the United States chose to train and arm them to oust the Islamic State, um, and the YPG was quite successful. But Now, the Kurdish are an ethnic group that doesn't have a state of their own, but there's many in Iraq, there's many, many in Syria, many in Turkey. That's right. And so um, Erdogan saw this as a betrayal. So, you know, the, the acronyms can get a bit confusing, um, you know, but the YPG was the militia that we chose to back. They were very successful. But to Erdogan, the YPG is no different than the PKK, the Kurdistan Workers Party that exists in Turkey that has fought an insurgency there against the government for their autonomy. So Erdogan fears the Kurds. He fears that the Kurds want to create um, an autonomous region within Turkey. And, and due to the PKK's previous activity, you know, terrorist activity, the, the State Department has labeled the group a terrorist group. And so Erdogan sees it like this. He says, you know, the PKK and the YPG are indistinguishable. They're the same thing. Um, the State Department calls the PKK a terrorist organization. Um, so he just he sees the United States as, as betraying him and as as arming terrorists who want a chunk of his country as well. Um, you know, we we see it very differently. The YPG um, has fought very successfully against ISIS and something that, you know, um, is the Islamic State, the, this, the right. terrorist group in Syria and something that you know President Trump hangs his hat on for, um, you know, for overseeing the defeat of that terrorist group. And uh, but it's you know, it's exacerbated the rift that's kind of been growing since the coup. And it, it leads us to where we are today. So the coup was in 2016. That's President right. Trump took office the next year. He's uh, He's in conflict with Erdogan as well. He he agrees with Congress that we shouldn't sell them the F-35, or has he made his view known? I would view it through the Pentagon. Um, and so um, Trump, I haven't heard him say much on this issue specifically, but the Pentagon a few weeks back decided on their own to block the, the manuals that Turkish pilots may need and, and the parts that Turkish pilots um, might need to operate F-35s. Uh, Turkey... Uh, has received two F-35s, but at an Air Force base in Arizona. So Turkish pilots had been training on those jets in Arizona, and they have not taken them over to Turkey, which they plan to do in November. A few weeks back, the Pentagon said, you're no longer getting the manuals that you need to operate these jets. You're no longer getting the parts you need to operate these jets. And so that's the strongest move from the administration. Um, it's really been Congress leading the charge, though. Now, Turkey worked very hard to become part of NATO. There was a lot of skepticism about that. They had to win that right to enter NATO. Why does Erdogan see advantage now in a closer tie with Vladimir Putin and Russia? So 
Erdogan has been on a bit of an authoritarian streak, to um, maybe put it uh, mildly. And um, you know, I spoke with a, a former parliamentarian who was in the opposition party for the magazine story that I wrote, and you know, he said that it's about living in a world that's safe for authoritarians. And so, um, who who has Turkey cozied up to? It's been um, it's been Vladimir Putin. It's been um, Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela. And so it's a bit of a, a paradigm shift, if you will. And, and there are some there are some natural reasons why Turkey might want to be friends with its neighbor. You know, Russia and Turkey share the Black Sea. Um, Turkey gets a lot of its oil and gas from from Russia. So those are kind of the, the practical reasons. But a little more strategically, it's part of Erdogan's rebalance of living in a world that is less liberal and, and more authoritarian. What's the risk, though, for the United States if we allow this? relationship to go off the rails you know in in many ways you know there's there's no mechanism to to kick a country out of nato so it's not that that's not that turkey wouldn't be in nato but it would effectively be losing a nato ally that had been so important for so many years turkey is the second largest military in nato after the united states um and so this is the you know, a coalition of an attack on one is an attack on all and so you know that military strength if um if the bloc ever needed it could be lost to nato and then you know they're in a very strategic location um you know we've used that airbase as a staging ground for the wars in Iraq that which we've fought. And we've we've had trouble with that as well in the past. But yes, I mean that's the thing is you know look where the United States um has interest or is involved around the world. Um it's just, you know, it's a country that the United States um you know and NATO wanted uh in part for its geographic location and um you know losing it to Russia would just kind of be the antithesis of why it was brought in. Now, in as congressional appropriators move forward with this provision to block the sale of the F-35s. Is anyone in Congress speaking out against that, saying, no, we, should, we shouldn't go that far? Or? It's been very bipartisan for the past year. This kind of um, emerged um, around a year ago um, with similar provisions that were a little more watered down than the ones that we're seeing now. And so I haven't really heard of, of any voices in Congress saying, no, we should sell them the F-35 while they're still receiving the S-400. Uh, it's been it's been very bipartisan, so much so that, you know, um, the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, James Inhofe, along with uh, Ranking Member Jack Reed, and then the chairman and ranking members of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee all penned an op-ed in the New York Times saying that, you know, if Turkey buys the S-400, they're not getting the F-35. So you have two different Senate committees with Republicans and Democrats who lead those committees saying the exact same thing. We're seeing similar um, provisions over on the House side. So uh, Congress has been been leading the way on this. All right, Patrick. Well, this deal between the Turks and the Russians is supposed to go forward in July. We'll look forward to your reports on it in CQ and in Roll Call. Great. Thank you for having me. That does it for us today. Please get in touch if you have any questions or comments about our podcast. We'd love to hear from you at cqpodcast at cqrollcall.com. Thank you all for joining us. You can subscribe to this and other CQ Roll Call podcasts on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, please visit rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at Roll Call.